Hey guys, so this uh, this week is going to be the first of what I hope will be many episodes um, of the podcast that will be very simple, off-the-cuff, casual um, episodes in which I will, quite frankly, just discuss the things that I've been listening to recently, give you a little bit of background on them, tell you why I like them, why I dig them, why I think you should check them out too, Um and then leave you to uh, investigate them and enjoy them and hopefully uh, be enriched by them and, and, uh, and dig them as well. So uh, I'm going to do these podcasts outside in my uh, in my meadow at home. Um, so you're going to hear some birds and various uh, other lovely fauna and flora and uh, all the beautiful things that are around me. So um, if you don't like bird sounds, get out now while you can. Uh, that being said... Let's get cracking. So the first thing I've been checking out recently is a uh, string quartet by uh, Schubert. And uh, for those of you who aren't aware of Schubert, he's sort of a transitional figure between Beethoven and Brahms. Now, of course, there's a lot more to talk about when we talk about Schubert, but that's not what this podcast is about. We'll discuss him in an in-depth podcast with Luke at a later date, Uh, which is to say that he deserves your time and attention, and you should give him that on your own. Uh, this is to discuss one of his string quartets called Death and the Maiden. I believe it's 14, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's a wonderful piece. It's, it's got... It, it, it illustrates most clearly, I think, um, that he is truly a transitional figure between Beethoven and Brahms. It's so Beethovenian... It has the kind of gravitas and the the dramatic flair of the Romantic era, but undeniably has qualities from Beethoven's string quartets. Um, and it's just wonderful. It's it it, it it it's a string quartet that Brahms could never write. Brahms string string quartets are pretty analytical and sterile and cold and uh, not very. Um, they're they're as as works of craftsmanship. They are frankly potentially unparalleled, but they're not very emotive. They're not very artful. Um, And Schubert certainly does not suffer from such things. This piece is a wonderful piece. So it's called Death and the Maiden. Uh, The version that I'm listening to is from the Takash Quartet. That's spelled T-A-K-C-S, I believe. T-A-K-A-C-S. Yeah, T-A-K-A-C-S. Uh, it's got, a, it's got a, a drawing, a kind of a very 19th century drawing of a woman's face in the front of it. Um, it also, also has another string quartet on it as well. So we're going to hear a little snippet of that, and then we'll fade out from that, and then we'll talk about the second selection.
Yeah, that's just great. Um, okay, so next we have a recording by a band called Young Widows. Um, and these are guys, I don't remember actually how I found this band, but uh, they're one of my favorite rock bands of the past decade or so. Um, and I, I listen to their record relatively frequently throughout a given year. Uh, I, I'll give it at least a couple of rotations um, every year or so. It's just such a great record. It's, it's got, it has all the, the balls and the force and the, 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 the low-end intensity that you want from a heavy metal record. But without, without some of the sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, schlocky kind of artificiality and uh, vapidity that comes with a lot of uh, a lot of metal it doesn't have any of the dungeons and dragons kind of uh quality to it this is like a kind of distillation of the energy of metal but in a in an environment that is much more authentic to like a human experience um and the riffs are savage and like the the four it i guess the best way to describe it would be that it, it, it's, it feels like metal rather than sounds like metal. Uh, and you know what I mean when you listen to it. So this tune is called Kerosene Girl. And um, from the record Easy Pain. And it, it's just, you know, <laughs> you'll hear. It's, uh, it's got quite some force. Enjoy. a plenty on that one so enjoy that record the whole record is really great as well um worth your time certainly um the next one we're going to do is 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 from a um the smithsonian institute i believe is who puts these out um they have a whole series of these records called smithsonian folkways and uh, there are a variety of uh, folk music focuses that each record takes so some of it is bluegrass some of it is blues some of it is protest songs some of it is you know, seafaring music. It's all it's all folk music of the 20th century, um, and I've been listening a lot to this song called "High on a Mountain" from uh, the classic Mountain Songs um, album from the Smithsonian Folkways. It's got a yellow cover on it, some like a sort of black and white rural uh, photograph, and with kind of a yellow tint to it. And um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Scotch Irish guy through and through, and so a, a good piece of mountain music. Uh, hits my heart where it hurts, so to speak. And uh, 
you know, I'm, I mean, is there really anything better than a nice piece of bluegrass? I mean, it's the, uh, it's the, you know, existential fire from which greater things come. Uh, it's the soul of, of a heart, at least in my mind. So, yeah, High on a Mountain. This is some real folk music also. This doesn't have the polish of like a flattened Scruggs or any of the other kind of classic bluegrass you might be aware of. The, these guys that they're that they're recording are actual mountain folks from the era that it's... I believe these were recorded in the 1930s. Um, and so the, the, the playing is not great, but the playing is real. And you'll notice some interesting things about... that Luke and I have talked about in the past about, about traditional folk musics and how they do interesting things with meter and time and tempo. So pay attention to that. And just, you know, let this thing wash over you. It's a, the, the ambiance and the atmospherics are, are pretty exceptional. Um, so enjoy. High on a Mountain. Smithsonian Folkways, classic mountain songs. Wagner's from um, the opera Siegfried, which is the third series in the, the four-part ring uh, tautology. tautology. Um, this is a piece called Siegfried's Idol, and this is a very, very famous piece for classical music fans, and more, more importantly, more specifically, for fans of Wagner's music, as this is one of the few instrumental pieces Wagner ever wrote that did not associate itself with the voice or with opera. Um, that's interesting. But it's also interesting because this is an incredibly beautiful piece of music. And I would encourage you to pay attention to the symmetry of it, right? Of the, the, the way that this piece is organized and the way that it melodically sings. 
it's it's it, it's it's a major keyed piece that has such beautiful like pastoral qualities to it but with none of the attempt of eliciting such a response from you it's not trying to get you to feel like you're awash in sunlight and beauty and and you know birds and trees it, it in a way communicates that emotion even better by not trying so hard to get you to feel it. It is just authentically beautiful. And, and I think a very rare way for any instrumental piece of music to be, it truly puts up in front of you just objective, true beauty. Um, and, and this recording is by a man, a man, Hans is his name, I said Hans, a man named Hans, a Hansman, uh, a man named Hans Napperbush. And um, he is one of the better interpreters, in addition to Wilhelm Fettwängler and some other people, um, of, of Wagner. He was born in 1888, and so he, this is very much his music, his mother's milk, so to speak. And this is a recording, I believe from 1962, if I'm not mistaken, of um, the Vienna Philharmonic. And it's a live recording of, of, he, of him and the Vienna Philharmonic conducting Siegfried's Idol. And just just enjoy how incredibly beautiful this there's there's also many recordings of this and of course like anything that wagner has has composed i would encourage you to wholeheartedly seek it out as soon as humanly possible um and this is a great entry point because this interpretation is wonderful and this recording is incredible and the composition is of course uh, unparalleled so enjoy this is uh siegfried's idol hans napperbush and the vienna philharmonic
And lastly here, um, my boy Beethoven has got to be uh, got to be in the mix here. You can't have can't have one of these without some Beethoven. Um, and this is the piano sonatas, which are very famous um, as guitarists. As I assume a, a good healthy portion of you out there are. Uh, I would imagine you don't listen to a lot of solo piano music, unless it's Bill Evans introing a jazz standard or something. But generally, you're probably not listening to a lot of piano music, and for good reason. You know, there's not a lot of instrumental uh, cross uh, applicability there. However, uh, the Beethoven sonatas are pieces of perfected, distilled humanity that deserve to be marveled at, if nothing else. Um, the reason why I chose this piece is it's from Beethoven's first piano sonata, and it's it's the f it's the piece that I I listen to very frequently. As the first piano sonata is not anywhere near as impactful as the later ones are, but this particular piece, and it's the it's the adagio, the second uh, movement, is it's so simple and it's so heartrendingly perfect in its simplicity. Just listen to how simple everything is, how the melodies come together perfectly, and how every piece of constructed art is so, shall we say, um, compassionately constructed. This is, this is a man who understands heartache, and understands, more importantly, the reaching toward hope and beauty in the midst of heartache. And you can hear in this, in this, this is a major keyed piece. I mean, this is a major keyed part of this, this piece, this movement. Um, and it's pretty and it's light and nice, but there's a, there's a, there's a tragedy to it. Uh, and I would ask you to pay attention to that when you listen to it and just let it, it always makes me a little teary eyed whenever I listen to this, this particular piece, because there's such beauty in its simplicity that you can kind of sense everything that has to do with life, the bitterness, the joy, the majesty, it's all there. Um, so appreciate it and enjoy it. Beethoven, Vienna Concerto number one, second movement. Oh, and this is also Igor Levit, who is a Russian-German uh, pianist, who I, I think it's pretty safe to say is sort of the preeminent interpreter of Beethoven's piano music that is currently alive. Um, and this is from his complete Beethoven Sonata recording. It's a, the album cover is him, close up of him in like a very Bill Cosby esque sweater. <laughs> Strange choice for the photo shoot, but uh, uh, he'll never forget that choice, I'm sure. Um, Igor Levit, Beethoven one, piano sonata one, second movement.
yeah, just just wonderful. Um, okay, guys, that's it. So these episodes are meant to be, um, you know, just kind of visits between you and I, uh, without Luke and without the sort of larger conceptual framework of some of the uh, the, the larger episodes or the uh, the longer episodes, should I say? Um, you know, these are sort of dispatches from uh, from the mountaintop, so to speak, where uh, you and I can just come together for a brief period. And uh, I can let you know what I've been checking out, and hopefully you guys can check that out too. Um, maybe one day we'll do a collaborative episode here, and, and you guys can tell me what you're listening to also. That'd be cool. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy. Uh, have a great day, great week, great month, all that. And uh, I'll see you again soon.